0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online, we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, This has been a really good week uh, in the kind of life of our church. Uh, Last night, I was at a meeting with uh, our new launch team. It was our very first meeting for with our new launch team uh, for the church that's going to be planting in Edgewater in February, and it was pretty cool to just see the excitement and just hear some of pe- people's hearts. And uh, just as we move forward, uh, it was just fun to watch what God's already starting to do. Uh, if you're new to our church and you didn't know this, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting another church in a few months, and uh, we have our very next our interest party. So we do these interest parties to basically invite the community to, and to come and, and meet some of us, and also hear a little bit more about this new church. And so on September 17th, uh, which is a week from today, at six o'clock at the Brick in Marysville, we're going to have our next interest party. And so if you know somebody that lives in Marysville, and Edgewater, Plumas Lake, somewhere in Yuba County, I want to encourage you to invite them to come, maybe come with them, and it's a great opportunity for them to just hear a little bit more about that church that's going to be planted, Uh, and hey, we're going to have some good food too, some giveaways, so it'll it'll be a fun night uh, at a a really cool place in Marysville. Uh, If you haven't been to the Brick, it is an awesome place, especially their outside area when it's not hot, and so hopefully it won't be hot next Sunday night. Uh, This past week, uh, I was saying how good it was for our church. Well, I had a, a good week. I, last Sunday, I left right after church, and I went to New Jersey. Like, why go to New Jersey? Newark Airport. That's a great place. It's a lot like what heaven's going to be like. Not really. Uh, but I, I went to New Jersey for the week and uh, was a part of helping a, an organization, a missions organization with, with a project, and so I had a good time with them. And, and you know this if you travel. If you travel at all, uh, when you get on an airplane— Uh, You get kind of settled in, you you get your seatbelt on, and then at at some point pretty early on, even before you take off, the the people that work, the stewardess, they they get up and they do some type of a safety briefing. And if you travel a lot, and even if you don't, there's a tendency to kind of blow off the, the 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 safety briefing. It's like I'm in my seat, I got my headphones in, I'm making sure I'm connected to the the, the Wi-Fi so I can you know watch whatever show or movie I want to watch during the flight. And then every single time they, they go through the safety briefing and, and usually most people unfortunately they, they honestly don't pay much attention. I know when I get on it's like okay I've heard this a million times and, and probably you might be the same way. And, and usually there's one or two reasons that people kind of blow that safety briefing off. The first one, and this might describe you, is if you travel a lot, you feel like you could make the safety briefing. You're like, you know exactly what they're gonna say, you have it kind of memorized, so you don't really listen to it and you kind of blow it off. Or the second reason is, you know what? You've never had a plane crash that you've been on. And so it's like, you know what? I've, I've kind of done this plane thing a few times and I'm not super worried that the plane's going to crash, or that we 're going to like dump into water and we 're going to have to get life vest on i 'm not that 's not a big scare to me, and so I kind of get comfortable and i, I don 't really listen because honestly i don 't feel in danger, and for whatever reason it just we, we usually blow it off because we 're kind of comfortable and, and we do this in other areas as well if you 've ever had the the joy and and it 's a joy and also very scary at the same time. Of teaching someone new to drive yeah that I uh my daughter Julia when I taught her to drive we have it on video we did it at the River Valley parking lot back when we used to have church there and I I literally thought I was gonna die in a parking lot and it that's not even a joke it was awful when I first taught her to drive but but you know this if you've ever taught your kid or your grandkid your niece nephew to drive at first they take it pretty seriously like, okay, don't look at your phone. Okay, I'm not going to look at my phone. I, I hands at whatever, 10 and 2, whatever they teach you in driver's ed. All right, I'm going to do that. I'm gonna... and, and they kind of follow all the rules because they're kind of nervous. They don't want to get in a wreck. And, and, and so they're, they're very strict on, on doing things exactly the right way. And, and that's a good thing. They got to pass their driver's test. They got to do things exactly right. Make sure they turn their turn signal on at the right time. And, and so they do that. But, but what happens, and you know this, and this is why we as parents pray like crazy for our kids, is they get comfortable. And before, you know, before long, it's like, you know what, I, that text is really, I feel like I need to see that text while I'm driving, and, and they get a little more comfortable. They're not, not as worried about getting in a wreck. They, they kind of know how to do it. They're not as fearful. And so before you know it, they get comfortable, they don't think about the consequences of, hey, if Something goes wrong here; this could get really ugly quick, and so because they get comfortable, they kind of lay off a little bit. They kind of uh, you know what it's they don 't take as seriously what how things could be so devastating and, and this happens in a lot of areas of life where we just get comfortable, we downplay. What could happen, the bad things that could happen, we think, oh, that would never happen to me, or I'm better than that, and then stuff happens, and things get devastating. I'm I'm sure nobody in their spiritual life ever plans to blow up their marriage, They don't plan to make a terrible decision that affects their family in a detrimental way. No one one plans for that. That's somebody else. That's somebody else that's not as disciplined as them. That's somebody else that doesn't have life together. Maybe isn't as spiritual as them. And then before you know it, just like the the student that gets comfortable with the the driving or the person on the airplane that gets comfortable and isn't worried about danger, we get comfortable and we kind of play into the hands of, Of the enemy, we don't realize how devastating the consequences could be, and we really don't think, if we're honest, that it could happen to us—that we could be that story. We don't see that happening to us. Peter, one of Jesus's disciples, uh, he wrote a passage that we actually looked at a little bit last week, and he talked about the enemy and how destructive and deceitful the enemy is and he said this in first peter chapter 5 verse 8 as he talked about the enemy and how devastating the consequences and the danger that comes with our enemy he said this he said be sober-minded be self-controlled be alert your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Instead of taking him lightly, Peter says, hey, you you need to be alert. You need to be controlled. You need to be on watch because you have an adversary who's waiting for you to get comfortable. You have an adversary that wants to do nothing but destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your legacy. He wants to destroy what God is doing in and around you. He wants to take you out and he's actively trying to do that. So be alert, be sober minded, don't get comfortable. But here's what he does say in the very next verse. He says, you know what? Don't take him lightly, but don't be afraid of him. Don't take him lightly, but but he, he's not as, as powerful as some people give him credit for. He actually says this. He says, instead of being afraid of him, resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Though we have an enemy, Peter encourages us to resist him, not based on how strong we are, not based on how disciplined we are, not based on our ability, but based on our faith and who is inside of us. John said it this way in 1 John 4:4, 4, 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So Peter says, hey, We're not victims. We don't have to be devoured. We don't have to allow destructive, sinful habits. to to destroy our families and destroy our own lives. We're not victims. We can have victory instead of allowing sinful habits and behaviors to destroy us. We can have victory instead of being the prey for this lion that wants to take us out. and, And that's what he wants to do. That's what he thinks about. It doesn't have to happen one of those unhealthy behaviors, and when we started the series last week to talk about this a little bit, to talk about this idea of, hey, we don't need to manage sin. We don't need to manage slavery in our lives. We can have victory. We can move forward. We can resist. We don't have to allow destructive, sinful behaviors to take us out and to hurt our families. So we talked about people-pleasing last week, and how that's one of those destructive behaviors that we sometimes just manage, and it affects every area of our life, and it doesn't have to be that way. But this week, one of those unhealthy behaviors that impacts so much of our society is sexual sin. This shows itself in a lot of forms, but one of the ways it is devastating so many is through the prevalence of pornography. I can remember I grew up in, I'm 46 years old, so I kind of grew up in the 80s, in the early 90s is when I was in elementary and, and in middle school, high school. And I remember hearing about the internet in the 90s, but I, I never used it. I didn't know what it really was. I, you know, internet, new thing, and you can look up stuff and And I, I, not until I was like in my second year at college did I even have an email address and then I probably barely used that as well. And so internet wasn't super prevalent when I grew up. And so I remember as a kid on a bus, the very first time I ever saw pornography was on a school bus. I don't remember how old I was, probably fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And and I remember there was a buddy of mine and he had this book in his hand and it looked kind of like a card. And he said, Hey, come here, look at this thing. Look, 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 look. And I remember him opening it up, and it was like, Oh, whoa. There were some images in that book that was like, That's not, I'm not supposed to look at that. And it, it just caught me off guard. But you know this that man, with the internet, those images that I saw on a bus in a book are at our fingertips and much worse than those images. They're they're at our fingertips. They're they're literally, we have access to those types of images and much worse in several places in our own homes. And and I can remember as a kid, that wasn't something that just wasn't prevalent when I was growing up, but now it's very prevalent. And the enemy, his desire is to distract and to destroy And one of the most effective tools that he uses is he uses, he takes sex, which God created as a good thing, and he offers counterfeit versions of it. And one of those counterfeit versions is pornography. And it dulls, and you know this, if this has ever been a struggle for you, or this is something that you've had people close to you struggle with, pornography is powerful, It dulls people spiritually. It enslaves. It destroys families. It brings with it a unique shame that we don't know how to get rid of. And instead of gaining victory and walking in freedom, many people find themselves managing this form of slavery with no plans of ever really being free. It isn't supposed to be this way because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and then they put his body in a grave and he rose from the grave because of what he did. We can experience freedom. We don't have to manage slavery in our lives. We can be free of it. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. And this morning, we're going to look at a guy in the scriptures that even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard of this guy his name's David. David was a warrior. He was a king. He was an artist, a musician. He was a passionate worshiper of God. Yet one evening, he made a series of bad decisions that led to sexual sin. And as a result, his life, his kingdom, and his family would literally never be the same. Look with me at 2 Samuel, this is in your app, but you can also see it up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to pick up the story of David at the beginning of that night, that by the end of that day, his life was devastated. It says this, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel, They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. This is March and April. This is when kings would normally go to battle because weather was good. Usually, the source of food and, and the things that they would need to take care of their army was available. And so, this was just the time that usually kings would go to war. And instead of leading his army like he should have been, David, I mean, things were going really good for him. He had defeated so many people. The kingdom had expanded. I mean, if he was putting this thing on an Excel graph, everything was up and to the right. It was going well. And so instead of leading the army out to battle, David stayed back at the palace and he allowed his other officers to lead the army. And so it says this in verse two, one evening, David got up from his bed and he strolled around on the roof of his palace. The roof was, I mean, you, you probably aren't climbing up on your roof at the middle of the night to like, as a place to hang out. But back then the roof was kind of like, almost like a back porch. It was a place where you would hang out almost like a, another room, another living area. And so he, he, David, he's out on the roof. His, 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 because he's in the palace, he's probably up much higher than everybody else. His house is bigger than everybody else, so his, his roof is higher than everybody. So he's strolling around on the roof. He can probably see a lot of the city from where he's standing. And it says this, from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. And it says this in verse 3, so David sent someone to inquire about her and he said isn't this Bathsheba daughter of Elam and wife of Uriah the Hittite so David he's he should be in, in the battle but okay so he stayed home one night he can't sleep he's out on the roof just kind of walking around he looks down he sees something he shouldn't see sees a the lady there she's t- taking a bath and instead of like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't see that. Let me head back in. He starts to inquire, like, oh, who? I think I recognize her. Who, who's this lady? Oh, it's okay. This lady's Bathsheba. She's, she's the wife of Uriah, one of my, my guys in my army. See, Uriah, he was at war, he was one of David's elite soldiers. And instead of David kind of slowing down and realizing, dude, that's like one of my guy's wives, I mean, just kind of coming to his senses, David continues down the path of destruction. It says this in verse 4, David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. Verse 5, things get really complicated. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. So David's sin, it led to some further complications. When he he stepped on the roof that night, he, he never meant for things to get this far. Instead of turning from his sin when he could have, he continued down the path. And even now, I mean, he had slept with somebody else's wife Now this lady was pregnant. It was really complicated. His sin had, man, gone way farther than what he ever planned. And instead of like coming clean and saying, man, I was absolutely wrong in that moment and kind of slowing down the consequences, David does what we're all so tempted to do and we've all done and he tries to cover it up. He tries to protect himself. He tries to preserve himself. And this never goes well. In fact, Proverbs 28 says it this way. The one who conceals his sins will will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So David's in a spot where he could have done exactly what this verse says. But instead of doing that, Instead of coming clean, instead of starting to make the right decisions, David goes into self preservation mode and he begins to cover it up even more. And he has a plan. And here's what his plan is He decides, you know what? I'm going to invite Uriah, who's been out fighting and and just putting his life on the line for his king and for his country. I'm going to invite Uriah back from the war. I'm going to get him really drunk and I'm going to send him home to his wife. And what what dude who's been hanging out with a bunch of other dudes, and now he's home with his wife? I mean, one plus one equals two. This thing's going to be taken care of. But Uriah happened to be a more honorable man than David was. And so Uriah said, you know what? Even as he had been drinking a little bit, He had enough clarity to say, you know what, while my men are out there fighting, why would I go home and spend the night with my wife? That's so, I'm not going to do that. And so Uriah messed up David's plan. Because David's thinking, man, if he goes home, we'll just blame this pregnancy on him. You know, we're good. But Uriah messed up the plan. Uriah wouldn't go home. David tried a couple nights in a row and it's like, man, this isn't working. And so David, again, he could have just come clean at this point, but in the midst of trying to preserve himself, and sin has a way of just kind of wrapping you in cords, and you almost like, you, you just can't get out. David's in that spot, so his, like, his complications have gotten more, and so he takes it to the next level. And instead of turning from his sin, David, in his effort to cover up, went from committing sexual sin to murder. Murder. It says this in verse 14, it says, the next morning, basically the morning after Uriah won't go home and hang out with his wife, and that plan isn't working, David says, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, who was the leader of his army, and he sent it with Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. So David, he literally writes a death sentence for Uriah. He gives it to Uriah. Uriah literally takes the message of his own death and hands it to the the army, like the guy that's in charge of the army. And what started with temptation, what started with Uh, inquiring about something that he shouldn't have been inquiring about. It led him to sexual sin. And then this, this evil plan, this plan that the enemy is trying to pull David into, it goes from sexual sin to now Uriah is murdered. The, the, the guy, Joab, the guy that's in charge of the army, he does exactly what David said, and and he puts Uriah on the front of the fiercest battle, and then he tells his men, hey, in the middle of that battle, I want you all to move back and leave Uriah there. And because Uriah was such an honorable warrior, he continued to fight, and his life was taken. Yet, in some sick way, for David, the problem was solved. Because now several months went by, and David looked like a hero because he took in the wife of one of his warriors. He took in as his own, as his own, this, this lady Bathsheba. And so he looked like this such a gracious king, taking in the wife of one of his warriors that's given his life. See, David. He thought things were done, man. People obviously back in the day couldn't do math. And so, man, okay, now it makes sense that she's going to have a baby. It's David and her baby, and that's all good. But now David's in a spot where he's probably like, okay, we're good. But God hadn't forgotten. God wasn't. We're good. And so God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. And Nathan wisely did it by sharing a story. Instead of going to David and saying, David, you did this. God's, you know, that's bad. He, He draws David in with a story. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one small ewe lamb that he bought he had bought he raised her and she grew up with him and with his children from his meager food she would eat from his cup she would drink and in his arms she would sleep she was like a daughter to him so i mean nathan's like just real and david and i mean i mean this little this two families, one rich family that has, man, all the money in the world, all the sheep in the world. And then you have this poor family that can't afford all that, but they have one little lamb that's not just part of the flock, man. This is like their own kid. They take care of it. It eats with them at the table, sleeps with them, man. It's it's a part of their family. And then it says this in verse four, now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. So you can probably see how David would be, anyone would, kind of getting riled up a little bit. You have this rich guy, somebody comes to visit him, and instead of, you know, taking the life of one of his sheep and that he didn't even care about and feeding the people that, he says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go steal the one sheep that this poor family has, and that's what I'm going to serve to my guest. And so David is, I mean, he's telling David this, and David's a passionate guy. You read through David's writings, David is a passionate guy. And so, man, he's probably just starting to seethe as Nathan's telling him this. It says this in verse 5, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. David's like, we, we, let's, just tell me who he is. We're going to go take care of him right now. And, and it goes on in verse 6, because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. And as David's leaning in, angry at this man, ready to go literally take care of it, Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are the man. And it's in that moment that God uses this story in David's life that Nathan told him to wake David up and bring him to the point where he is broken over his sin. I'm sure David was just wondered in, in this moment. I'm sure maybe he had wondered in the past, like, how did this happen? Like, like how did things get this far? And what happened was David was, wasn't where he was supposed to be how did he get this far? How did this thing start? Why did this happen? Questions we ask ourselves when we, man, when we do something that hurts other people and we're like farther gone than we ever thought we could go, we wonder how does this happen? And for David, it was a series of bad decisions. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He should have been at battle, but he instead was back at the palace. Then David saw something he wasn't supposed to see. And then David did something he wasn't supposed to do. And David cost many what they were not supposed to pay. And here's the thing. The enemy conveniently left out the fact that because of David's sin, more than one of his own children would die. The evil one conveniently left out the fact that many of his relationships would be fractured. The enemy conveniently left out that the effects of his sin would literally affect the rest of his life. His kingdom, his family would never be the same. Several of his children would die. The, The enemy conveniently left all that out at the beginning when he was standing on the roof and he saw someone bathing It's what the enemy does. The enemy conveniently leaves things out. The sad thing is about the enemy then is the enemy is still running the exact same play. He runs the exact same play today with great effectiveness. No, he he doesn't tempt people from the roof. His tool of choice today is technology. He runs the same play. He runs the same temptations. He tells the same lies. He draws people in the same way. Yeah, not from a roof, but from a computer, from a phone, from an iPad. And he's using it to destroy people's minds. Even people, if you, if you pay attention to really successful people that don't even follow Jesus... Many of the successful people in our world that don't follow Jesus, even they, and I've heard them share, which is so ironic, they understand how devastating pornography is. And so they stay away from it, not because they want to do it for God, but they do it because they know how devastating it is to the mind and they want to be successful. And so they, they even stay away from it because he he uses it. The enemy uses it to destroy people's minds, He uses this tool that he's been using for many, many years to ruin marriages. He uses it to distract people with shame. He uses it to steal spiritual effectiveness. And he he uses it to corrupt a very good gift that God gave us when he gave us sex. He gave it to us as a really good gift, but the enemy uses pornography through the gateway of technology, to ruin and counterfeit something that God said was good and something God gave to us as a gift. While all this is true, what most people do instead of understanding that and going to war and walking in victory, a lot of people in their life, and maybe you found yourself in this place, They just try to manage this. They they try to manage something that is literally destroying them. And in their minds, they don't ever see a day where they'll be free of it. They don't know how that would ever happen. And so because they'll never be free of that shame, because they'll never be totally free of that addiction, because they'll never be totally free of of, of what it does to them and to their marriage and to their life... They try to figure out ways to just manage it, to keep it at bay as much as possible. And it just doesn't have to be that way. we, We can walk in victory. We can have freedom. If we can't, then Jesus wasted his time when he died on the cross. If we can't have freedom from sin, Jesus could have just, you know what? He could have slept in on that Friday when they took him to the cross. But because he didn't, because he went to the cross, because he shed his blood for our sin, because they put his body in the grave and he rose from the grave to make clear that he was much more powerful than death and sin and all that goes with it, we can have freedom. We can walk in victory. And so let me ask you a few questions as we try to take David's story and a subject that affects all of us in some way. It affects our culture in a lot of ways. Let's ask a few questions and, and, and kind of be practical in how we can kind of have victory in this area. Here's the first question. Just an honest question. Do you plan to have victory? Like some people just honestly would say no. Like they're not even trying to fight. It's just, you know what? It's just I just look at pornography it's just part of life. It's just what I do. It's just a habit I have. It's not something I'm even trying to fight. And so for you do you plan to have victory? Are you are you trying to fight? Maybe another question, another way to ask it is this, have you given up on freedom? Like in your mind, and I know how uh, the Bible answers say no, but on, inside you, have you just given up on ever really being free? Is it like, I just don't see how that would ever happen in my life. And so, you know what? I've kind of just given up on this idea of total victory, of freedom. Maybe this is a, a, another question that, that might bring perspective. Are you believing the lie that I got this? Are you believing the lie that, you know what, looking at porn and, and allowing it to, to affect me, it's not that big of a deal. And honestly, I, I'm going to stop at some point. I, I just, I've I got this. I just got to be a little bit more disciplined. I got to do a few different things in my life. I've got to straighten up in a few areas. And, and as long as I, I I've, got, I've got this. It's, it's not going to overwhelm me. It's not going to ruin my marriage. It's not going to, like, I'm not going to affect my kids. It's, it's I've got this. And I think this is one of the lies that Satan, he just, yeah, yeah, you do, don't you, buddy? You got this. Oh, yeah, you could stop whenever you want. Oh, it's not affecting you that much. You got this, bud. Or are we believing that? Or are we believing a lie that you know what? If I just get a little bit more disciplined in this one area, I got this. See, we we can lie to ourselves and play right into the enemy's hands, or we can go to war. And if we're going to go to war, we need to take three steps. Now I'm going to give you three steps. And if, if, if one of these lies is kind of the one that you're believing, if this idea of, oh, I got this, I can manage this, if that's, you probably, if you've lived long enough, and you really thought about it, and you kind of looked at your life from someone else's perspective, you know that's a lie. Like, because we've all said that in a lot of areas, and we still haven't found victory. So we obviously don't have this, but we can have victory if we do some things differently. We invite God into this. And so here, here's a few things. First one is this be honest about your struggle. Be honest about your struggle. Don't downplay it. Don't make excuses about it. Admit it to God. Admit it to the right people. Don't allow pride to be the barrier to freedom. James says it this way. He says, God resists or actively works against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. David, after he met with Nathan, and Nathan called him out, and he was broken over his sin, David said this in Psalms 51. He said, For I am conscience, I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So David came to a place after consequences were devastating, But he finally came to a place where he said, what I did is sin. It's not somebody else's sin. It's not somebody else's fault. God, this was sin against you. And I think the first step for for a lot of us is we just need to be honest. This is a struggle. This is an addiction. This is hurting me. I'm not going to get over this. I don't have this. We got to be honest about our struggle. But I think the second step is this, is we have to be willing to remove sources of temptation. Like if you're trying to lose weight, you're not going to pull up and spend your day at crinkle donuts. Like you're not like, I'm going to, I'm trying to lose weight, but you know what? I just, I'm going to go make my office crinkle donuts, like that's probably, if you're trying to lose weight and stay away from food that tastes really good, but isn't good for you, you're automatically going to say, you know what? There's, I'm not going to go there because that temptation is, is just tough. So I'm going to take that out of my life. Romans 13, Paul said it this way. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires basically make it hard on yourself to sin. Sitting at home bored with no safeguards is destruction waiting to happen. Just like sitting in crinkled donuts when you're trying to lose weight and spending all day there, thats man, that's just an accident waiting to happen. This past uh, December, Lori and I, we went to uh, November, December, sometime in there. Uh, we had our 25th anniversary. And for us, we thought, you know what, we haven't even seen our own state. So for our trip, what we decided to do is we decided to kind of go down the route that just takes you right down the coast, and we booked three places, and we started in kind of Monterey, Carmel, and then we worked our way down Big Sur, and all the way down Santa Barbara, and then down to, uh, we flew out of LA and kind of flew home. And if you've ever done that, if you haven't, do that take take some time and, and drive down. It's, it's stunning. So as you're driving down, and if you've done this, you know this, as you're driving down the coast, you're literally driving on roads that right next to you is a large cliff that if it started to go bad, it could get ugly real quick. I mean, the views are stunning, but if you kind of lost control and you went to the right a little too much, there's not a ton of margin there. And so because of that, along the way, there are a lot of guardrails. And those guardrails aren't there for most of the day when you're driving. Like, you're not going to need those guardrails probably 99% of the time. But those guardrails are there. So when things start to go wrong, and you, man, something doesn't go the way you have planned, there's a guardrail there, that stops you from something that would devastate you. Yeah, hitting a guardrail would be awful and it would mess up your car, but it would be a lot better than going down a cliff and your car blowing up. And so those guardrails, they're, they're not there for most of the day. You don't even care about them. They're, they're just there so when things start to go south, when you lose control, when something doesn't go as planned, there's something there to stop you from devastating your life. And that's exactly what this verse in Romans 13 is telling us. For some of us, if we're going to walk in purity and not allow sexual sin and specifically pornography to enslave us, we have to put up some guardrails. So even in our weakest moments, there's something there to stop us from doing something that will destroy us. So Chris, what do you mean? Let me give you some real practical things. For some, you struggle with looking at porn on your computer. You need to make a decision that, you know what, I'm going to put my computer in a public place. And when my spouse goes to bed, I'm going to bed with her or him. Because you know for yourself that, man, when that computer is, when you're all by yourself with that computer and, and there's nobody around you, there's a lot of temptation there. And maybe 99% of the time you can be careful and not look at the wrong websites, but you know yourself well enough to know that in a weak moment, in a, a moment of temptation, if that temptation is there, that you're going to fall for it and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be devastating or it can lead to devastation. So for you, you're going to put up a guardrail. So I'm going to put up a guardrail. I'm going to do some things so that even in my weakest moments, there's a guardrail there. For some, it's and this you'll be like Chris, you're, you're ridiculous. For some, you need to get rid of your smartphone for a season. You need to go in and go into Verizon or T-Mobile and say, "You got in the back there? You got one of those old flip phones?" I'm like what? They'll look at you weird. And, and for you you might even be thinking, you might be watching online or you're here this morning, you might be thinking, Chris, dude, if I didn't have a smartphone, that would really complicate my life. Well, so does being enslaved to pornography. So does adultery. So does divorce. So does your kids following in your footsteps in this area. Yeah, that complicates your life. And so maybe for a season, for you to put up a guardrail, you say, you know what? I just got to be honest with myself. Right now I'm struggling. And when I have the technology in my hand 24-7, it's tough to stay pure. It's tough to not be enslaved. And so for a while, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to get away from a smartphone for a season or two. When do you struggle? Where do you struggle? It's probably similar places. What device do you use when you struggle? It's probably the same device. And so instead of just hoping you're going to do better next time, what if you put some guardrails up? So in your weakest moments, you have made it hard on yourself to sin and be enslaved. So that first step, be honest about your struggle. The second one, Remove sources of temptation. And then the last thing, and again, just practical things. The last one is this, get the help you need. For you, that might be accountability. It might be counseling. It might be a a tool or something that will help you in this area. Get the help you need. One of the tools that our family has used, and honestly, we've used it for I mean, most of my adult life is a tool called Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes has a few things that are helpful, but one of the things that we've used is Covenant Eyes has a software, and you can, you can in our app, in the sermon notes, there's a website you can go to. And basically what you do is you put Covenant Eyes on your computer, then you choose an accountability partner or two, and a, a once a week or once a month, whatever your accountability partner, however they set it up, they get a report. And they just get a report and it, it, it kind of red flags websites that might be inappropriate websites. And it's really hard to get it off your computer. <laughs> like if you want to take it off your computer, they, they don't make it like, well, I want to look at porn. I'm just going to turn that off. They make it a little harder than that. But here's what this does. In your weakest moments, guess what you know? Oh, so-and-so is going to see my report. So you know what? I'm just going to forego looking at porn tonight. Because I don't want to have that conversation. This is a great tool that is going to, it's a tool that's going to help, it helps people, it helps a lot of people just in those weak moments know that, you know what, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to do that. Also on Covenant Eye's website, there's articles, there's podcasts, there's several helpful resources. In fact, I, I, uh, we put an article in the sermon notes that I thought would be helpful for you or for you to give somebody that might be struggling in this area because there's some really helpful tools on this website that will help people that are struggling with this or have people in their life that they want to help through this. So maybe it's Community. And you, I think we all know this, but isolating yourself is, is usually not a good strategy. And, and so to, to get into some community where, man, it doesn't guarantee you're not going to struggle, but when you do, you won't be alone. So this is one of those subjects that you, you know, don't really talk about a lot in church. In fact, I was with somebody, and I'll end with this. It's not even in my notes. Which is sometimes not good when the pastor says this. But, but let me... Because this happened this week. So I was with some guys in New Jersey. And we were talking about... We were talk, this subject came up. These are all missionaries. And one of the, one of the guys told a story of someone who had... Was, he grew up was his very best friend growing up. They, they went to church together. Went to a good church. But this guy at the age of 18 or 19, went from being addicted to pornography to making some really, really bad decisions sexually that put him in prison for a long time. And this guy that was his best friend has gone to see him several times. He's about 10 years into his prison sentence right now, has, I think, about 10 more years. And the guy's testimony is this. His testimony, when his friend went to see him, and they kind of just talked through it, man, what happened? He said, dude, I was addicted to porn. And at our church, we just couldn't talk about that. There was nobody I could really talk about. It was a place where I just felt like there would be a lot of shame involved if I really told people what I struggled with. And that... Addiction and that shame and that I can't tell anybody it has to stay private it's never going to go farther than me and my computer led to him making some really devastating decisions that he points back to I never really was willing to be honest about this. And if this is something that you struggle with or something that you have somebody in your life that struggles with they don't think that will ever be their story, because that's one of the lies the enemy tells us. But the thing is, yeah, you might not end up in jail. Probably won't. But the things that it's going to do to your life, and the cap that it's going to put on your life for what God really wants for you, is as devastating as this guy's story. And so the question is, Am I going to be somebody that just manages slavery the rest of my life? Or am I willing to do some hard things? Am I willing to be honest? Am I willing to put up some guardrails? Yeah, super inconvenient ones. That's the point. Yeah, they're going to be inconvenient. Yeah, it's going to be a little awkward. But I'm going to put up some guardrails because purity, holiness is important. I don't want a legacy of devastation like David had. I want a legacy of purity and holiness and God's favor on my life. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus says, Bring it. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not. You don't have to get it all cleaned up before you come to me. I love you unconditionally. I don't want you to feel shame. I want you to bring it to me, and I'm going to help you get freedom. Quit listening to the lies of the evil one. And Jesus is saying, that is exactly, I came for this. I came for this. I was made for this. Bring it to me, and let's walk in freedom. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you, in your sovereignty, Lord, we we hear the story of David, and it's in the scriptures, and though it's a story that is devastating, and it has with it so many consequences, and I'm sure David regrets so much of what happened that night on the roof and all that happened afterwards, God, but we know that you are so forgiving, that you are so loving, that you are not surprised by evil, you're not surprised by our sins, It's actually why you came, because you wanted us to be free from it. And Lord, I pray as we're all here, and so many of us at times of our life, we've struggled with this at different levels, but it's as devastating at any level. God, I pray that we would be willing to be honest, that we would be willing to put up guardrails, that we would value freedom over slavery. If you're here this morning and, or you're watching online and for you, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I'm here to tell you that Jesus, he came so that you could experience freedom in this area, but in so many other areas. And, and this freedom, it's available through a relationship with God. And the beautiful thing is that With every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're online or or here, the beautiful thing is this is a gift. This relationship with God is a gift that's provided to you free of cost. See, Jesus took care of the cost. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. At the age of 33, he went to a cross, and on that cross, he took the beating that we should have taken, that we deserved for our sin. He took all of that on himself and he bled and died so that we could have a relationship with God that leads to freedom. And if you're here this morning or watching online and you have not started a relationship with God, you can do that today. You say, Chris, how would I do it? Just right where you're at, just between you and God, just tell God, from your heart to his. Tell him, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I admit to you I've disobeyed you. Just tell him. He knows. And then just tell him, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus, your son, died and rose from the grave for me. Just tell him. And then just invite him God, I want a relationship with you. Would you come into my life? Would you save me? I want a relationship with you today. Just tell him. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you made a decision to start a relationship with God, we'd love to know about it. If you're here with us this morning, there's a card right in front of you just says, My Decision. You can fill that out. Put it in the offering basket on your way out. We'll call you this week. Want to answer any questions you have? Just connect with you. If you're watching online, there's a card at citywalk.cc. Go to that website. There's a card there available for you. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online, and, and many of you, you've already made that decision. You're a follower of Jesus. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you walking in the freedom that's available to you? If not, are you willing to take the necessary steps to be free? And for you, it might be just being honest about your struggle. Not listening to the evil one, not listening to the shame, but just coming clean with your struggle. Maybe for you, it's removing the temptation, realizing that you don't have it and removing the temptation, making some hard decisions to put up some guardrails. Or maybe for you, it's just, man, getting some help, getting an accountability partner, downloading Covenant Eyes, whatever it is. Are you willing to take the necessary steps to be free? Lord, I pray that as you work in our hearts this morning, that we would do exactly what you're telling us to do. And Lord, that we would leave this place committed to freedom in this area of sexual purity. That we would no longer be held captive by sin, but that we would come free today because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.